0: Welcome back to Second and Short. It is December 21st, and we just got our first week of the flex scheduling for Saturday Night Football, Uh, but we will start Thursday Night Football, 49ers beat the Seahawks 21-13, and and this was a great game Um, uh, on Friday's episode. Me and Luke were watching it throughout the recording, so we talked about it a little bit, but... You really got to shine a spotlight on the offense for the 49ers. Of course, you know, we can talk as long as we want about the defense, but the offense looked amazing.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, like you said, uh, we can always spend – we could probably spend the next several hours on the 49ers defense. I love uh, good defenses, and they're they're a good one to talk about, but their offense definitely did uh, show up uh, Thursday night.
0: Yeah, like Brock Purdy. Had uh, another great game. Um, if you're really just looking at like his player rating, like he has played phenomenally in these past three games. And then Christian McCaffrey really got it done this week. It, it was his highest carry total of the season, I believe, with 26, 108 yards, one touchdown. And then he was also pretty active in the receiving game, led the team in receptions. So this was kind of the prove-it game for the 49ers. The Seahawks are a worthy opponent, and you know, coming so close to playoff time, we needed to see what would happen to this 49ers offense, losing Jimmy G and losing Debo now, and it, it looks like they can just stay on track. It looks like Kittle's getting a, a little bit more active in the game. He had four receptions, 93 yards, and two touchdowns it's almost like we're going a little bit back to what the 49ers looked like in the past couple of years.
1: Yeah, it's kind of uh, like I said in previous weeks, this team is kind of set up to win football games, no matter who's at the will uh, for quarter, at quarterback. I mean, they have an excellent defense and which we talk about all the time. You know, I, I can never, you know, I just will continue to praise this defense. It is so good. And their offense is very, very good. Very, as uh, we've said before, they can put in anybody at quarterback and they will be winning football games. And we've seen that this year, uh, you know, uh, Jimmy G going down and them having to go rely on a rookie and Brock Purdy. And they are still able to just win football games consistently.
0: Yeah, uh, it's crazy. And then for the Seahawks, like, they didn't really have a bad game. It just wasn't quite, they, they weren't quite getting it done on the 49ers side of the field. Uh, Geno had a great game, 31 for 44, threw a touchdown. But it, it's about limiting the turnovers. Uh, we talk about that all the time. San Fran, uh, they didn't turn over the ball once, and Seattle uh, fumbled once. Uh, and lo- or, Sorry, they fumbled twice, lost one. But it, it's just about execution. Uh, especially when it comes to a team that I wouldn't say it's like a, a bunch of misfits put together because Seattle has played really well this season, but there, it's a bunch of guys that maybe you didn't expect coming into this season to play very well. Like Geno Smith, the quarterback, you got a rookie running back that's kind of leading the offense. And then obviously you still have the receiving core with Tyler Lockett and Metcalf and Noah Fant, but I I can't say that it was a bad game for the Seahawks. I think they just, just like everybody else, ran into this 49ers defense and got eaten up.
1: And I think the thing with this uh, Seahawks team is uh, very, not inexperienced. Uh, I wouldn't really say that, but they definitely need uh, their inexperience as a team. You know, this is their first team with a new quarterback and a new running back. And so they're just, I still feel like they're trying to find their way together and for their first season uh, together they are looking very good and so I don't know if, you know I, I of course wouldn't say I, I, I could see them going to the Super Bowl but I mean they're, they're having a, good, a very good year for all things considered
0: yeah for sure and, and then uh, last thing I want to talk about uh, I just kind of thought about this is like the 49ers defense now y- you've got Bosa he's looking like the defensive player of the year and you've got, like, probably, like, five other guys on that defense that have a good claim to be a pro bowler. So, like, this is one of the best defenses we've seen in a long time.
1: And something that uh, I'll say that has been true most every single year and every most every sports is defense will win you championships. So we'll see how that plays out for them.
0: Yeah. And then uh, we'll move on to the Saturday games. Uh, We started it off with one of the craziest comebacks in NFL history. Uh, The Vikings beat the Colts 39-36 in overtime, and the Colts had a 33-point lead at the half. Uh, What do you think about this? Because there's so much that happened.
1: I just feel bad for Matt Ryan. I think he now uh has the pretty sure I saw the statistic for him. He has not only the largest get gave up the largest comeback in the Super Bowl, but also the regular season international game and NFC Championship game. So uh, that's that's a statistic to have.
0: I, I don't understand why we keep putting the blame on Matt Ryan though, because. Look, he can't control the defense. In in the NFL, if your team scores 36 points, you should win the game. So no, I, the fact that he's getting them 33 points is very impressive. And I feel like – and I'm not saying you're doing it. I'm saying everybody's like, oh, Matt Ryan blows games. No, Matt Ryan doesn't blow games. Matt Ryan builds leads, and then his defense blows it.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, what I was kind of pointing out was that he's been a part of the- – <laughs> He's now been the starting quarterback for uh, all four of those uh, uh, biggest comeback wins, which is, you know, not something I don't part of. I agree. It is on his defense mostly, but this also goes, uh, you know, there's also you got to look at the offensive production in the second half. Do they just kind of look like they gave up? Is you know, how are they playing in the second half? And that kind of goes the same because I know in the Super Bowl, the 28-3, to the offense production just dropped off completely in the second half.
0: So, yeah. I think part of the Colts' problem is look they've got a very inexperienced interim head coach with Jeff Saturday. So I don't think that you know he is quite ready to make like real halftime adjustments, especially with a lead like that. Look, he was a player for a long time and he was a great player. And he should understand, you know, what it takes to get the guys to go out in the second half and keep working their ass off. But when, when you're kind of a, a player coach and you're almost seen more as like a, a friend and a mentor than, you know, the head coach, it, it's going to be tough to get a locker room behind you. And I feel like that that's part of the reason I don't think Jeff Saturday is going to be coming back.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I Really don't like that they did. They kind of did this to him. Uh, he doesn't have really any any real experience to be an NFL head coach. Despite his only experience is he was in the NFL. Coaching and playing are two completely different things. Um, and I, I mean, I kind of uh, I have a, a a little bit of experience with this because I mean I haven't been a you know real coach for a college or NFL team, obviously, but I have been for you know junior varsity and freshman teams. Along with you know Little League, looking at the field as a player and a coach is very different. and he was just not prepared for this big change.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a fair way to put it. And then, for the Vikings, Kirk uh, once again had an amazing game. He 34 for 54. 460 passing yards, four touchdowns. The two interceptions was rough and the defense, uh, the Colts defense really got him in the first half. I think they had all seven of the sacks on Kirk in the first half, maybe just the first three quarters, but the Vikings, you, you got to commend the resilience. Um, they went into the locker room at halftime and obviously made the adjustments because they come out in the third quarter. They put up 14. Then in the fourth quarter, they scored 22 points take it to overtime and get the win. So I think this was kind of both sides of like the Minnesota Vikings showed what it takes to make halftime adjustments, make those corrections come out in the second half and get it done. And the Colts were on the opposite end of that spectrum where they had a lead. They went into halftime and they just came out lacking, but, um, You do got to shout out a couple of the guys on Minnesota, like KJ Osborne, who, he is a good player. I'd say he's probably the fourth option normally uh, in the passing game. I'd say it normally would go to Jay Jettas and then Thielen and Hawkinson, Uh, but KJ Osborne got 16 targets, which was the same as Justin Jefferson, 10 receptions, 157, and a touchdown. That is a, a wild stat line, especially for KJ Osborne. I
1: mean, yeah. When when you're in a game and you're down thirty three to zero, uh, you know you got you got to do something a little different, and someone's got to step up. And obviously, uh, he stepped up uh, in that second half.
0: Yeah, and it's it's not surprising that you know other guys other than Justin Jefferson were successful in the receiving game because, like you said, they had to come out and do something a little bit different. Whereas, like in past weeks. We've seen Kirk take a lot of favor towards Justin Jefferson, and it sometimes puts him in a bad situation. And so, you know, hitting guys like KJ Osborne and like throwing to Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook had four receptions for 95 yards, broke off for a 64 yard touchdown. So it's just about, you know, hitting what's available instead of forcing the ball to a player that, yeah, he's going to make a play, but, you know, give the open guy a chance.
1: Yeah, sometimes I feel like I say I, I say a lot is when you have a team like uh, uh we'll use the Minnesota for example when you have a team like that and you have a superstar wide receiver one of the greatest or one of the best wide receivers in the game right now and Justin Jefferson the defense will probably be in uh you know two to three uh d- DBs uh closer to his side of the field just because he's that good which should open up some of your other receivers. So sometimes uh, I know people like to force it to their best players, but you know sometimes you got to you got to adjust to that and pick it up.
0: Yeah, it, it's it's a super important part of the game, and I feel like some people just overlook it. But um, let's get into uh, Ravens Browns. Some people kind of thought this game wasn't that good, but I I actually really enjoyed this game. Um, Tyler Huntley didn't have a great game. I don't know why we keep thinking that he's a good replacement for Lamar Jackson because they try to run the same offense that they run with Lamar Jackson, and the problem is that Tyler Huntley is not Lamar Jackson, so it just doesn't work. That offense only works for a very select amount of quarterbacks, and the backup is just not one of them.
1: Yeah, that's something that we – another thing we tend to uh, point out most a lot most weeks is coaches trying to force something – that doesn't work for their players, and as experienced and as skilled a uh, good of a coach, uh Harbaugh is at uh Baltimore. He's still there, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Who? Just making sure. Um. Yeah. You would think you'd realize, like, okay, Lamar Jackson is there. Are there's no other quarterback right now like Lamar Jackson? Has I would. I he's very different from uh uh Josh Allen and um and Patrick Mahomes in my opinion because he is I think he's a much better runner. Um and he still has an arm on him. Don't get me wrong, but I I think he like he is more of a when you think of a running quarterback, like he's like, you know, he's actually a running quarterback and you can get him in the ball and he can be like a skilled position when he's in the open field. And that's something that you would think, okay he's not like a traditional quarterback so i need to uh so my offense is for him when i bring my backup quarterback in who's not like him i need to change my game plan up for him because he can't run like he does you know he can't do the things he does so we need to adjust our game plan for him we cannot force something that he's not comfortable with because then it's not going to get our desired result
0: yeah and, and like you have the running there jk dobbin's played really well in this game even though, like, it was very obvious that he's still hurt. Like, his knee is still definitely banged up. But 13 carries for 125 yards, you know, you should be happy with that. Uh, I don't think that JK's quite ready to come back. But, you know, this performance kind of proves it otherwise. But I, I think that, you know, where the Ravens kind of messed up here, you know, it, and you can't blame them for their offense not looking good with the backup quarterback in. But... They got to hold on to the football. Demarcus Robinson had two fumbles. He only lost one. Huntley had a fumble. They didn't lose it. Luckily, they weren't losing the fumbles, and Duvernay also fumbled. But it's just so important, and, like, when you fumble the ball, even worse than an interception, if you fumble the ball, it truly throws off the momentum because, you know, an interception could... Be the result of still a good pass, it just, you know, a, a defensive player plays it right. When you fumble the ball, that's on you. And that throws off the momentum of the entire offense.
1: Yeah. Uh, fumbles are, are very different to interceptions, like you said. They, because like it is, I would say nine times out of 10, it is on you, 100% on you. You know, sometimes there are just, you get hit so hard or, you know, something, it's a fumbled snap or, or a handoff or something, but uh I, I would say uh fumble is completely it because it it probably kills a momentum more than interception because usually an interception is on a you know a smart play by the defense, uh jump in the route or uh tip drill or something, but when you fumble it, it's it it just everyone just get almost gets mad at you and it not only does it, it makes them not trust you a little bit more, they don't want to give you the ball as much anymore after you fumble as well.
0: Yeah, and, and like just another thing that hurt this team was surprisingly Justin Tucker. He missed two field goals today, which I feel like I've never seen him miss a field goal ever.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he's like the best kicker since Adam Vinatieri.
0: Yeah, it, like I just I just pulled it up. Justin Tucker has only missed 37 field goals in his career. And he wow. missed two on Saturday. And then, you know, for the Browns, they did a good job of just, you know, doing what they, uh, using what they have. Look, Deshaun Watson, it's, it's still obvious that he's not quite in this offense completely. And he's not, you know, the same guy that we had seen a couple years ago. Uh, that's probably for the better, um, based on past events, but <laughs> Nick Chubb's still playing well, 21 carries 99 yards And, and you know, he's always, he's always going to get that number. Nick Chubb is very good at that and it's just about creating opportunities outside of him because Chubb had 21 carries and Deshaun only had 18 completions. So you, you got to work on just getting the short yardage from the passing game because if you keep forcing Chubb to make the plays, he's going to get worn down and we see it across the league.
1: Yeah. And, um, I I believe I've said this before you, and you, you've also said it. Your running game will set up your passing game so when you have someone as skilled and dominant like Nick Chubb is running the football that will set up most all your pass plays. So uh, you should not be having to rely on him for every single play out there because they also do have good receivers there and a I mean, I understand he hasn't been in the league uh, for about a, two years now, but uh, they're, they're good receivers, and he should be able to get the ball out to his receivers.
0: Yeah, for sure. But um, we'll move on to Bill's Dolphins. This was a great game. Uh, I think I said it uh, on Friday's episode. I love Saturday night football. It is the best. And this game was awesome. Josh Allen played great uh 304, four touchdowns, no interceptions. He also had seventy seven rushing yards. Like this is the Josh Allen that we talk about. Because the past couple of weeks we've had to kind of say like this doesn't look like the Josh Allen we're used to. This this week was the Josh Allen we're used to. And this Bills team looked unstoppable in this game.
1: Yeah, we've kind of been saying it uh for the Bengals, the with how good they've been looking i think josh allen is finally getting back to being what he is getting back to norm no and he knows these are the games we have to win if we want to be you know the top seed and going into the playoffs and he's starting to and he's uh especially in this game he really played not only him but the team as a whole played like they you know believe they should be the uh, best team going into the playoffs
0: yep and then on the other sideline Miami did exactly what we've been talking about for him, which is using the running backs you've got. Look, Jeff Wilson Jr. was out, and Raheem Mostert filled the role, and he did it uh, above and beyond what you know is expected of him. Seventeen carries, 136 yards. He did his thing today, and it really helped out that offense. Though they didn't get the win, that kind of goes to uh, Tua's uncatchable balls. But um, a- another guy on this offense that. Had a great game that maybe wasn't expected. Was Jalen Waddle uh, came he came out in a press conference earlier in the week and let everybody know that he's never played in the snow. Growing up in Houston, playing at Alabama, now he's been playing in Miami. You know, snow is not uh, Jalen Waddle's happy place, but maybe he should. Three receptions, one fourteen, and a touchdown. That's a stellar game for your first game in those kind of conditions.
1: Yeah. A quick question I have for you. What do you think about uh, Tua down there in Miami?
0: Oh, man. Uh, Look, I I think Tua has – he's a skilled player. But he has stuff to work on. And I I just – I don't know if we kind of need to give him the time. He's already had a coaching change. It's early in his career. He needs a he needs a quarterbacks coach and an offensive coordinator that want to work with him, and he needs to be accepting of criticism and you know willing to get better. I you know I'm not saying that he's not. We we just don't know because it doesn't seem like he's made a ton of changes. He looked good early in the season, and I think that was kind of the honeymoon phase with you know all these new weapons he has. But I I just think that. He's got more to prove, and there's a ton of improvement that's needed before I consider him one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL
1: yeah, you said just about exactly what I would have said. um he has a way more to prove for me, and I think he de- he definitely does need to get a uh a quarterback coach in there to work with him and uh you know get get more uh tuned with that offense and uh really with himself and his arm. But uh, yeah, I, I was just—I was wondering, seeing if we're on the same page, and obviously we are.
0: Yeah, but um, you got anything else? Oh, actually, I just remembered one thing. Um, the the kind of the story that was um going on during this game was all the Bills fans throwing snowballs, and like I guess uh, Mike McDaniel like complained to one of the refs that the fans were throwing the snowballs and. Like the refs had to say that it would be a 15-yard penalty if it happened again, and then it happened so many more times and they just didn't give him a penalty.
1: Yeah, I don't know if you can really give a penalty to the, um, to the home team because the fans are, <laughs> the, uh, I, whether it be throwing stuff onto the field or you know just throwing snowballs because that's not the team's doing. They're not telling them to do that. So uh but yeah I mean there's not really much you can do to the st- to the tell them to stop except to tell- ask them to stop.
0: Yeah, and, and like I'm I was listening to part of my take yesterday and they were talking about it. They're like it's like if there was a beer under everybody's seat in the stadium and you said don't drink these. Like there's snow in all of the seats in the entire stadium and you think that these crazy Bills mafia fans aren't gonna throw snowballs on the field.
1: Yeah, like uh, there's not too much you can do there.
0: But uh, we'll we'll get into Sunday's games. Um, it, this was a this was overall a great weekend. Uh, we'll start off with one that I'm not very happy about, like we always do. Falcons. Saints beat them twenty-one eighteen, and uh, my take from. Friday's show's not looking very good. Where I said that Desmond Ritter was going to play well enough that we wouldn't draft a quarterback. Uh, he's going to have to win the MVP for that to happen at this point because he had a stinker. I, I get it. It's his first game in the NFL. This is a bad game, man. 13 for 26, 97 passing yards. Yeah, he got sacked four times. Hey, he didn't throw an interception.
1: Yeah, um, I... I wasn't really a big fan of the pickup of Desmond Ritter. And I mean, I'm not going to say too much against him because it is his first NFL game and it is a very big adjustment going from college football to the NFL, especially when you come from a smaller school like he did in Cincinnati. He wasn't playing against teams that had, you know, uh, top tier uh, NFL caliber players. So, I mean, it's going to take him a while to adjust, but, um, I mean, I kind of support Atlanta picking up a quarterback in the next draft. I think Desmond Ritter will be a good backup quarterback, but I'm not going to say too much because he does have a few more games I want to see him play before I can make my full opinion on him.
0: Yeah, like, I'm not I'm not giving up on Desmond Ritter. Um, if we draft a quarterback next year, I will, but... I could see, you know, with the problems with Mariota, uh, him getting all whiny because he wasn't starting, and you know, deciding to go get knee surgery. Um, I could see Desmond Ritter maybe starting a couple of games next season if we draft a young guy that maybe you know the coaches don't think he's quite ready to start week one. Um, but there is a couple of uh, players on the field for the Falcons in this game that really shined, and Tyler Algier is definitely one of them. 17 carries, 139 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, That's a phenomenal game for a rookie running back.
1: Yeah. Um, Something for this uh, Atlanta team I uh, just kind of want to poke at here is uh, I would really like to see them – I think if they're in a position to pick up a quarterback, I think you almost have to because that is a big piece missing. But I also they got to work on their defense at some point. I mean – they're not. It's not a terrible defense, but they could definitely use some more help, especially in the front seven. So I feel like if they don't go for a quarterback, they have to go for a uh, either a D lineman, a linebacker, or someone in the front seven.
0: Yeah. Do you think you could see like, depending on where we're at in the draft, I I don't like many of the quarterback options after. CJ Stroud and Bryce Young, because yeah. you know how much I hate Will Levis. I do think that he'll probably be a great NFL quarterback. It's just that you know, from what I see as a college football viewer, compared to what NFL scouts and analysts see, as you know, um just like as they are, they're scouts and they they analyze the game. Obviously, they see more in Will Levis. The the guy's got all of the measurables that you want for a quarterback in the NFL. He's tall. He's big. He's got a rocket arm, big hands. They love the big hands. So I I get it. But CJ and Bryce are going in the top four regardless. So if the Falcons aren't in the top four, which I don't think they will be, I could see maybe they go for like Brian Brise from Clemson uh, to just try and bolster that front seven.
1: Yeah, I mean, if there if there just so happens to be you know Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud don't go in the top four like they're projected and they somehow fought us, you have to take you have to take that because you know we're we're a team that needs a quarterback. But uh, like you said, if if we end up on the outside, you know, and there's not not, I mean, honestly, I wouldn't be too upset if we got uh uh got it uh got Oh, Kentucky boy, uh, Will, Levis. Will Levis. But if you know, I, I I think I would rather us go for a uh, for for a defense because yeah. we need to have a big defensive draft and just get that get it just get it get our situation fixed.
0: Yeah, and, and like the thing that really turns me away from a lot of quarterbacks in this draft is you know how I see them on the field. Like Anthony Richardson sat out this bowl game, which, like, I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna, like, say that that should hurt anybody's draft stock or say that it doesn't make him a good player. But Anthony Richardson has more to prove. And we'll get into how his game or the Florida game went later. But he's got more to prove. And then I, I, you know, I just talked about Will Levis, but then after that, it's like, Hendon Hooker, um, he's like 25 years old, and I don't know if there's a lot of NFL teams that, you know, want to get a a a first round quarterback, some guy that you expect to get some starts in your in his first season when he's 25 years old, because by the time he's three years in, he's going to be pushing his, he's going to be 28, and that is right at his prime. And so you're really only gonna get eight to ten years if it really works out for him out of that quarterback.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I didn't I never even really thought about uh, the age going into that. That's a very good point. I've never thought about it like that.
0: Yeah, and like that's another problem that'll probably hurt Stetson Bennett. Um, you know he's a good quarterback. And uh, I've said it before, he'll probably be a quarterbacks coach at UGA in the next like four years. But look, the guy is a a solid quarterback. And I just don't think that he jumps off the jumps off the board for NFL teams. But uh, we'll move on from some draft talk. We can get into that in a couple months when we know a little more. But um, we'll talk about the Saints here. Andy Dalton, they actually seem to use this offense correctly. They didn't make Andy Dalton throw 30 passes. He was 11 for 17, 151, two touchdowns. Like, that's how you should probably use Andy Dalton at this point in his career. Uh, You got a little creative with Taysom Hill. He he was 2 for 2 for 80 yards and a touchdown passing. And then Kamara, for like the first time this season, ran the ball really well. 21 carries, 91 yards. And it just seemed like things were working in the Saints' favor this week?
1: I think for uh, the Saints, I think the thing that's hurting them the most is for the – as long as I can remember, they've really been relying very heavily on that defense of theirs to get the big stops and the stop – you know, to to get the big stops, especially these last few – oh, my goodness, these last few years – Without Drew Brees, they've really been relying on that defense. And this year, their defense just is not looking uh, too hot.
0: Yeah, and and I think people thought that it maybe would look a lot better. They picked up uh, a couple of guys in the offseason that really stood out, uh, primarily Tyron Matthew. And yeah, Tyron Matthew is having his normal season. Look, he, he'll get in your face. He's a really scrappy guy. He gets tackles. Uh, you know, here and there he gets the interceptions, but I I just don't think that they have enough like standout players on this defense. Like obviously Cam Jordan is a star, but he's getting old. Like he only had three tackles and one tackle for loss today. Like I'm used to as a Falcons fan, Cam Jordan typically gets like two sacks at least against the Falcons. It just seems that They've kind of moved on from this generation where they had a great offense and a great defense, and the defense is getting a little old and they've lost a lot of power on the offense. So it's interesting. Uh, I think we've talked about it. Like We really want to see what happens to the Saints over the next couple of years.
1: Yeah, they're, they're about to – if they're not already in it, they are going through a very – probably a few-year-long complete rebuild of the team
0: yeah for sure uh and we'll get into uh eagles bears now uh eagles take the win twenty five twenty uh jalen hurts he started off so bad like i'm pretty sure he threw the two interceptions pretty early he wasn't running very well and then they just brought it all together after that first quarter
1: yeah uh there isn't uh i'm pretty sure i just you got the update. Isn't uh hurt uh Jalen Hurts uh hurt and they're gonna start Gardner Minshew this week weekend?
0: I believe so. Uh I think he he did something to his shoulder in the game, but um I, I think that the way that this offense runs, they should be all right. You know, you can give Miles Sanders some more carries. Gardner Minshew is one hundred percent a serviceable quarterback and he's got a ton of options in the receiving game. So uh, I don't think they'll have any problems next week. Uh, obviously, you know, it's really up to how Gardner's going to play. We haven't seen him play a lot um, in the last, like, two years. But I-, I got a feeling that, you know, he can probably get plugged in. You know, they'll have a week to practice, and then he'll be ready to go.
1: Yeah, I think uh, – I don't think this uh, this Philadelphia all- offense will hiccup at all with Gardner Minshew at the hill i just uh i just figured that's probably uh that Jalen hurts had to be uh hurt with uh, the type of game he had, especially early on in the game, uh like you said with throwing two interceptions he had to have been hurt and just off a little bit, and that's why he seemed to not have uh that good of a game, but uh letting him rest this upcoming week and I think going to be very uh, is a very wise choice
0: yeah and, and like he did end up turning it around later in the game twenty two for thirty seven 315 yards is nothing to scoff at. Uh, we're used to seeing Jalen probably get in a, a, a situation to toss a few touchdowns, but um, he did it on the ground. 17 carries, 61 yards, three rushing touchdowns. That's a phenomenal game on the ground for your quarterback. And, you know, the best thing that I've seen from Philadelphia this year is that they just they understand how to run the QB sneak. Like, it is a huge part of football if you can run the QB sneak. Because there's a lot of situations where, you know, it's a matter of feet. It's a matter of inches from, you know, winning a game. And Philadelphia does it great. They've got the best center in the league. They've got a great running quarterback. And they've got, you know, some guys that truly just set it up correctly for them. And it's a recipe for success.
1: Yeah, definitely. Like you, I like to talk about the QB sneak. It's some people like to call it a cheap play, but I don't really think it is because you are in situations. I'm going to use the first play, the most recent game of both out of college NFL that comes to my mind is the uh, Big 12 championship between TCU and Kansas State. If they would have been running, if they would have ran a quarterback sneak right up the middle, they probably would have gotten that touchdown and most likely could have ended up winning that game. But if you, since they did not run it, they kept trying to run it, uh, hand, handing it off. You're giving up every time you hand the ball off, you step back and you give up at least four or five yards when you hand the ball off. And that four or five yards, it gets, not only it gives up, that's like an entire second you're giving up. So, uh, like you said, uh, being able to run the quarterback sneak can win you the football game.
0: Yeah. I, I, 100% agree. And then for Chicago, Justin Fields just didn't quite have the game that we're used to seeing from him. Um, and, and that's really just that he was getting sacked a lot. Normally he's very good at kind of making something out of nothing in the running game, um, where he can just scramble out, you know, juke a defender and get some free space in front of him. But he got sacked six times for 61 yards and that killed the bears in this game. But Regardless, 15 carries for 95 yards from Justin Fields is, uh, he, he's doing all he can to help you out. And it, it just seems like they can't do just, a, they can't do enough to get over the hump. Like they're still not a good team because they can't execute and that's just going to hurt you every week.
1: Yeah. I mean, what, what did he say? Six sacks? They yes. he gave Six up? Six
0: sacks for 61 yards.
1: I mean, you cannot – that's almost not even the quarterback's fault at that point. I can only imagine how many, you know, QB pressures there were. And, you know, a lot of things that I would register as a QB pressure, uh, they don't register in the stat line. I mean, if if you're constantly having the defense in your face, it's really hard to play quarterback when you're having to run for your life all the time. So, uh, obviously, that uh, bears offensive line is a bit of an issue.
0: Yeah, and that's kind of a a theme for teams that aren't playing well in the NFL is if your offensive line is struggling, it's really hard to get anything going because if they can't block for the run, you can't rush, you can't get as many yards as you need. If they can't block for the pass, you're not going to make any big plays. So it it makes it super tough on, you know, running and uh, passing if you just can't block well, and I think that's kind of the issue that the Bears are running into. Oh, yeah, 100%. But uh, we'll, we'll get into a game that, you know, had a lot of implications for the playoffs. Um, the Lions-Jets, the Lions take it 20-17. to Zach Wilson was the starter for New York, and i kind of surprised... By Zach Wilson's performance, like by the numbers, it looks okay, but he really just didn't look that great. He he's really bad about running backwards um, when he's getting pressured. Got sacked four times for thirty yards, and then they just couldn't get it done in the rushing game. Uh, it, it's hard to rely on a rookie running back like Zonovan Knight had a phenomenal week last week, but thirteen carries, twenty three yards, it. it Makes it super tough.
1: Yeah, um, some uh, that. Yeah, the whole Zach Wilson liking to run uh, backwards when (laughs) you know there's pressure in his face. That that just gets on my nerves because that is one of the simplest things not to do. Uh, Just at if you're if you keep running backwards, throw the dang football away. They would rather you throw the ball away. Then get sacked, or you know do something throw an interception or something possibly because you're trying to make something out of nothing
0: yeah i I think that's really what it comes down to, and then, as well, like this obviously isn't the quarterback that the Jets want playing. I don't think anybody on this team wants to play with Zach Wilson y- You've seen how successful they can be with Mike White, even early in the season with Joe Flacco like. They don't want Zach Wilson as their quarterback, but you know, you gotta work with what you have and it, it just doesn't seem like this team is inspired anymore. Like they had this underdog mentality all year and it's took them to seven and seven, which is a phenomenal record for the New York Jets. But I, I feel like they could be better.
1: I think I, I believe that Mike White won over the Jets team, especially, uh, I believe uh, it has to be had to been last week when he basically, you know, <laughs> lost his ribcage at being at playing through that whole game. Yeah. I mean, he showed that he was willing to sacrifice his body for the to 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 play and play for that team and try getting them a win. And I think he won over the team then. And now Zach Wilson is trying, especially in this game, uh, like you pointed out, with him loving to run backwards. Is now he's trying to do everything in his power to do just some crazy stuff and look ama- you know, look crazy good to try and win over this team. But I just don't think he's going to.
0: Yeah, I, I don't either. And then for the Lions, like they didn't really have like a stellar game, um, but they they put up the points they needed. Uh, Jared Goff had a pretty average game. 252 in the air one touchdown no interceptions uh he didn't get sacked once which is uh a recipe for success um they didn't run the ball extremely well but they they just did what they needed to and we talk about this all the time it's just if you can do what is asked of you then you've got the opportunity to win football games and the lions do that very well Look, they're, they've now moved to seven and seven. It's looking better for them to make the playoffs, and it's going to be interesting to see how this Lions' team continues to go um, through these next three games.
1: Yeah, and uh, I kind of want to piggyback on what you were saying there about doing the bare, you know doing what you're told. If you are able to do the very bare minimum of what you're asked and what you're supposed to do, you're going to be, like you said, you're going to be successful because obviously coaches know what they're doing, what they're talking about. So if you believe and listen to your coaches and do what they tell you to, they're going to put you in the situations to where you can win football games and, you know, make a statement. But what tends to happen is people think they know better and get too cocky and will start, you know, or they'll get nervous or, and not listen to what they're supposed to do. My favorite thing my coach always told me when I was coming through was, don't think, just do. He's like, I, I'm telling you exactly what to do, and in your mind, it's going to be muscle memory. You're going to just do exactly what you're supposed to do because you're not going to think. Just never think, just do. Listen to you, just just listen to your body. It's going to take you exactly to what I've taught you to do over all these years, and that's what um I, I you know, that's especially a team like the Lions who aren't, you know, don't have a top talented t- uh, roster in the NFL, if they can continue doing what they are taught to do and how they're coached to do it, they will be successful.
0: Yeah. And then um, we get to a game with two guys that, you know, it's kind of surprising that they're leading a team at this point in the season. Uh, You got Steelers, Panthers, uh, Mitch Trubisky for the Steelers this week because of uh, Pickett's injury. And then Sam Darnold for the Panthers. Steelers take it 24-16. And both of these teams... Pretty much looked like shit. Um, Pittsburgh, they had the run game going pretty well. Najee had a pretty good game. Uh Jalen Warren uh got himself a touchdown. And then uh Deontay Johnson had a great game. But like Mitch Trubisky, th- I will say the Steelers did the right thing this week. They went from Pickett uh uh in the la- you know, for most of the season, they bring in Trubisky this week and They kind of simplified the offense and turned it into an offense that works better for Mitch Trubisky, where he doesn't have to throw a ton of passes. He doesn't have to be the one to make the plays in the high-pressure situations. You can give the ball to Najee Harris, and he can get it done, and that's exactly what happened.
1: Yeah, uh, I like what you said there about giving, uh, not making Mitch Trubisky be the dude this game, and they... It's you know something we've been talking about that uh, we talked about with the um oh dang with the uh, with Baltimore is they're trying to make uh, that quarterback be Lamar Jackson. And no, he's not going to be Lamar Jackson. He's a back at quarterback. Same here with Mitch Trubisky. They know what they have with him and what his skill set is, so they're going to do what works for him best and that's how they came out with a win here.
0: Yeah, and then for Carolina it just seemed like they just couldn't get anything started. Uh, Sam Darnold had an okay game, but the running game was just so bad. 21 rushing yards as a team. Chuba Hubbard, four carries, 10 yards. Dante Foreman, 10 carries, nine yards. And then Darnold got two carries for two yards. And, you know, I don't want to go on this spiel again, but the run game sets up the pass game, and it, it just isn't going to get it done. So um, not much else to say about this game. It's a stinker. Um, it's not important for the playoffs. So congrats to the Steelers on uh, getting a sixth win of the season. Uh, we'll get into um, one of the best games of the day uh, on Sunday, Cowboys-Jags. Like, oh, my God. Jags take it 40-34 to in overtime off of a-, a wild play. But we'll get to that uh, towards the end. I do want to talk about uh, how some of the players played. Trevor Lawrence, dude. He is here. I, I think Trevor Lawrence has officially arrived. 27 for, for 42, 318, four touchdowns, only threw one interception, got sacked once. And then Travis Etienne, a guy who I was hyping up <laughs> a few weeks ago. <coughs> Excuse me. I was hyping him up a few weeks ago, and then he just kind of got cold. And then he came back this game. 19 carries, 103 yards. Like, this Jags team looks really good. They've got weapons across the board. Zay Jones had a great game. Christian Kirk had a great game. Evan Ingram, you know, obviously he didn't have last week's performance, but he still had a good one. And it looks like this Jags team has a chance to get better. They just have to address the defense.
1: Yeah, um, I'm really liking uh, how this Jags team is looking. I mean, obviously, uh, they're a pretty young team, uh, so they they have nothing but a bright future. Uh, but I mean they they did look so good this week and I just I just I just really like it cuz you know I love yelling Duval so uh I I just I just like seeing it and it's, I I like that they're doing good now cuz they got my boy Evan Ingram on the team and he they you know they're making him look good so I I just I like it and beating the Cowboys always makes me happy.
0: Yeah, and to talk about the Cowboys they they kind of beat themselves. Like Dak I'm tired of us saying that Dak and Kirk Cousins are like similar quarterbacks because personally, I think Kirk Cousins is better than Dak Prescott. Obviously, Dak has like a higher ceiling. He is still like a relatively young quarterback, but like Dak Prescott is not a take over the game kind of quarterback, at least not from what we've seen this season. He throws a catchable ball, but they don't have. It, it he doesn't give opportunities. He threw two picks. He got sacked three times. But they have offensive weapons, and it just seems like they can't execute with them.
1: Yeah, um, I just think it's. I mean the Dow, the the Cowboys for as long as I can remember have been like that. Though they they've had a good quarterback, and they just they've just never had the it factor.
0: Yeah, I, I agree, and. You know it's weird that you know we're talking shit on a defense that, or sorry, on an offense that leads a team to so far a ten and four season, but when you look at how they play on the road, they're three and three on the road, and to end the season, they've got to go on the road to Nashville and on the road to Washington, and I, I or they and they also have the home game against the Eagles, but um the last two games they'll play are at. Tennessee at Washington and I think there's an opportunity for those two teams to capitalize on how bad the Cowboys play on the road.
1: Yeah, I I definitely think the Titans more than the Commanders. I don't know why, but I just have I have a good feeling about the Titans in that game against them.
0: Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one, but um I do want to talk about that final play. Um and and this is where we talk about how Dak just Doesn't quite get it done. And they go into OT. The Cowboys looked pretty good throughout this whole game. Uh, The Jags obviously got really hot in the second half. And then Dak comes out and throws the pick. Walk off pick six for the Jags to end it. And it's just another heartbreak for the Cowboys. And it seems like that's just how it goes for them now.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, to just reiterate what I said, there's something about them, they just don't have the it factor with them. And I don't know what it is, it's just they have a great team, they have great players, you you know, they have players that could potentially, if they keep doing great, will go to the Hall of Fame. And yet, there's something about when it comes down to it, when it comes down to the most important plays, They just don't make them.
0: Yeah. And, like, we've talked about this in college football where a team runs the ball really well and then they decide to pass in a situation where they don't necessarily have to. And Tony Pollard in overtime, the the Jags punt after a three and out. Tony Pollard, 21-yard rush, to start, and then he gets six more yards, and then um, he he gets stuffed on the third run. So they run the ball with Tony Pollard three times in a row, and then Dak Prescott tries to throw downfield, and it just doesn't make much sense.
1: Yeah, and but at what point is also like, what is? It, can we say it's the play calling?
0: You yeah, know? it could be. Um, I, I think that Kellen Moore is a good offensive coordinator. But, um, you know, we haven't seen any team from Dallas be successful, I- at least in the playoffs. They always have a good regular season. But, yeah, Kellen Moore is a good offensive coordinator. I think that the Cowboys don't get themselves in these situations often, so he doesn't have to coach through them very much.
1: Yeah, and something uh, that I, I was going to say, Usually, when you don't have that, you know what I, what I like to refer to as the "it" factor that the the factor of I can clutch up and win a foot. I, I will win the football game. Um, you know something that we obviously that Tom Brady has. Um, you know he there's something about that just in him. I don't know if it's now. Na- you know if, I think it's just something natural that people have. And usually, uh, I think the "it" factor comes from how you're uh, not only through your players, and if you have a you know especially a leader on the team that can get them uh, hyped up. But it also goes to your coaches because if you don't have a coach that, you know, can coach you uh, through those tough times and through those game winning drives, then, you know, you're not going to have the, what I, like I was saying, like I refer to it as the it factor, the factor to win you those tight, close games.
0: Yeah. It's, it's confusing to me um, to see how the Cowboys play when, like we talk about other teams that win the games that they shouldn't. It seems like the Cowboys either lose or barely win the games that they should win. And yeah, the Jags have a great team. We we just talked about it, but they're not uh, you know, a, a top team in the league whatsoever. The Cowboys, they barely won a close one to the Texans a couple weeks ago, and we just have to continue questioning what's going on there. And I think it does come down to the coaching.
1: Yeah. And I mean, obviously they're good coaches to consistently get, you know, w- really good winning seasons, but I mean, uh, but it's back to what I was saying. None of these coaches possess the clutch ability to win.
0: Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll move into um, Kansas, uh, Kansas city versus Houston. Um There's not too much to talk about here. Uh, Kansas City won at 30-24. The the main thing that surprised me is that the Texans actually put up points because if you looked at the box score, you wouldn't think that. They only had just over like 200 or or just at 220 yards of offense between the passing yards and the rushing yards. And somehow they kept this game pretty close. It it went to overtime. Like, Kansas City had to get the eight points in the fourth and then scored the touchdown in overtime to win. But, like, how do you let it get this close? Kansas City, once, like, looking at the yardage, Kansas City had over, excuse me, over 500 total yards. And this game just should not have been this close
1: yeah no that game should not have been that close at all. I mean, just if you look at the two teams, you would never expect it to be that close um obviously this uh Houston team is has talent and potential on there because this is now the second team a really good team they have taken into uh late game situations of uh, you know one possession games basically, so there's you know uh they, they got something going there, and uh they'll they'll this you know will be good for their uh as they're you know rebuilding here, but um yeah, I just think i, I it almost seemed to me like I'm not even gonna say it's not even like the chiefs didn't show up. I think it's just more that Houston capitalized on their opportunities,
0: yeah, a hundred percent, like Kansas City um fumbled the ball three times, lost two of them. Um, Juju lost one. Isaiah Pacheco lost one. And that seemed to be the turning point. Um, The Texans, like you said, they capitalized on missed opportunities. And um, it was unfortunate that they fumbled the ball in OT and then uh, Kansas City on the first play got the touchdown to win it. But there was just so many times in this game where... Kansas should Kansas City should have kind of broken it open and they just didn't. And yeah, you got to, you know, give your um give your praises to the Texans for it. But they still didn't play a great game. Um they were just lucky enough to keep it close.
1: Yeah, that's a good way to point put it.
0: Uh we'll we'll go into one that I barely want to talk about. Um hmm. Broncos Cardinals Relevant matchup to both are now four and ten. The Broncos take it 24 15. Trace McSorley and Colt McCoy are like splitting snaps at quarterback. It's sad right now to watch either of these teams. Brett Ripen, Ripon Rippin. I still don't know how to pronounce his name, and he's been in the league for a couple of years now. Started for the Broncos. Like, this is a true hurt quarterback, end of the season, just stinker.
1: Yeah, I mean just just one of those games no one really wants to watch.
0: <laughs> yeah, like uh, LaTavius Murray had a good game, uh, 130 yards and a touchdown on the ground, but yeah, this this was a rough one. Like nobody wants to watch a late season matchup between uh, a 4 and 9 Cardinals team and a 3 and 10 Broncos team that don't have their starting quarterbacks in, like It was just sad to watch. (laughs) We're just going to move on to a a game with a much more exciting ending. uh, Raiders-Patriots. And I I feel like there's not much to talk about up to late in the game. The Raiders tie it up with one of the worst missed out-of-bounds calls I've ever seen. Like, that 100% should not have been a touchdown. His foot, like, I think all of his toes were out of bounds.
1: That's something that drives me insane, especially in this day and age where we have instant replay and there are cameras every which way on the field that can show you every single possible angle, and you still blow the call.
0: Yeah, and like they reviewed it, and then the referees um, have to come out and say there was no clear and obvious evidence to overturn that touchdown and like his foot it, it's like it couldn't be more obvious that he was out of bounds and so it it puts the patriots in a tough spot they come off of you know a play that shouldn't have been a touchdown that ended up tying up the game and then they made the the biggest blunder of them all like you can't do that in that situation. Ramondre Stevenson breaks off a run up the middle as time expires. First of all, it's a tie game. Why are you running up the middle? So you obviously don't think that something's going to happen that, that could come out of this. Like, I'm pretty sure the Raiders were in a prevent defense. You run the ball up the middle in a tie game with the clock expiring, and then Ramondre Stevenson laterals it, and I think my head was about to explode when I saw that happen.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know why they thought that was a good idea.
0: <laughs> and then, and then it gets worse because Jacoby Myers gets the ball and thinks, you know, who should be the person to run this ball is Mac Jones, third <laughs> like twenty yards away from me. Like, standing at the back of the play. And, like, that is just the most bonehead move. At that point, I I get it. The adrenaline's running. The ball just ended up in your hands. The clock is expiring in a tie game. Just fall on the ground and go to overtime. Like, there's no reason that this play should have kept going. Ramondre Stevenson, look, they should have kneeled in the first place. But Ramondre Stevenson should have just got tackled Went down, went to overtime, and saw how it went. But instead, you throw it back to Mac Jones, and then Chandler Jones is literally just like standing there waiting for it. He gets the ball, absolutely just dehumanizes Mac Jones, and then runs <laughs> it for a touchdown to win the game. And like, I just don't understand what's going on.
1: Well, what makes me the most mad about the, you know, uh, laterals there is. The fact that Mac Jones was literally like 30 yards away. You don't lateral someone that far away. Like at that point, when there's no one within five yards of you, you just, you go down. Uh, you, you gave it a good college try trying to lateral
0: or whatever, try to play a little backyard football
1: there. And it didn't work. There's no one near you. So go down.
0: Yeah, like, it's not like you were going to lose if you went down. You still had overtime to play. That's why nobody runs these types of plays if they're not down by one score. Like, in a tie game, there's more game to play if you go down. So, it, it's just like the most bonehead decision I've ever seen. And, like, I pray, I, I'm I'm praying that Matt, uh, I believe their offensive coordinator is Matt Patricia again, um... I pray that he is not the one that told them to do that.
1: I I if a coach if he did tell him to do that, he deserves to be fired on the spot. I'm sorry. You cannot tell your players to do that. Like that that's just dumb. And if you're gonna do that, like a uh, like I kinda stated earlier, you have to be within five yards, five to ten yards of the person you're lateraling it to. If not, it becomes extremely dangerous, like we saw
0: yeah I, it's crazy, and like the pictures of Mac Jones are so funny, and um you know, they'll finally replace his uh his mugshot as the funny picture of Mac Jones, so I'm sure he's happy about that, but um yeah, like it, it's just it's crazy, and like, this is not what we're used to seeing from Bill Belichick's teams. They don't make stupid mistakes. a Belichick coach team doesn't mess up.
1: Yeah, and uh, that, that that is something that it's it's almost uh, annoying to watch the t- watch him uh, watch the Patriots now because there are a lot of stupid mistakes like that, and it's, you know, and I mean the same thing with uh, the with Alabama's teams right now. I would Nick Saban; they're not having you know stupid mistakes as that, but they're ha- both teams with co- coaches that are known for having extremely disciplined teams. Or having very undisciplined teams. And I think that kind of goes towards your coordinators. Because at the end of the day, the, the head coach is not in charge of all of that. I mean, he has other coaches for that. And, you know, just those stupid things come down to the coaches and what they allow. So uh, he needs to really fix up uh, his coaches. And anyways, wasn't Matt Patricia his defensive coordinator? During those times, the Patriots had some of the best defenses.
0: Um, I don't. I thought uh, McDaniel was the defensive coordinator. Maybe he was the offensive coordinator. I
1: don't remember.
0: A, at the moment, it's a weird situation in New England. I just looked it up, and so Belichick refused to name an offensive coordinator, and so instead. Matt Patricia is the senior offensive assistant and offensive line coach. And Joe Judge is like the, the second in command of the offense and the quarterback's coach. So I don't know what is going on in New England, but it obviously isn't working.
1: Well, it seems to me like he's too busy trying to be the coach uh, rehab instead of trying to win football games.
0: Yeah, he's just picking up all the bums. It's kind of a Nick Saban thing.
1: Yeah, and that's and I think that's why Nick Saban isn't uh has had these 2 off seasons because he's also just picking up all the you know all these coaches and trying to be the coach rehabilitator and making them into the good coaches again. Just pick up coaches that are going to win you football games.
0: Yeah, it, it's ridiculous. Because uh,
1: neither of those coaches have anything to prove anymore. They are both known as two of the best coaches in their respective areas.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, we'll we'll get into uh, Chargers Titans, which is a, a pretty big matchup. Uh, Chargers take it 17-14. and Justin Herbert looked pretty good. Uh, he didn't throw any touchdowns, and he did throw two interceptions. But the Chargers got it done. This was a, a nasty, just gritty game, just grinding out yardage, trying to get points on the board, and it just went in the Chargers' favor.
1: Yeah, I mean I love watching low scoring games. You know I say it all the time. I'm a big defensive guy, and I love watching defensive games. And this was one of those uh, really fun games to watch.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, and like Tennessee, they looked fine. You know, Derrick Henry did his thing, 104, one touchdown. Tannehill did his thing by throwing under 200 passing yards and an interception. Um, it, it's uh, both teams just kind of did what they needed to, and um. The rushing game wasn't quite working for the Chargers. They got it done in the air. And it it almost looked like the Chargers had to make compromises. Where, you know, limit the amount of running plays we throw or we um use at the end of the game because it was a tie game going into the fourth quarter. So you want an opportunity for yourself to score. So keep the time on the clock, pass the ball, and you know, let things happen in front of you. Whereas Tennessee doesn't really have that option. You can't just let the quarterback take over because you don't have a quarterback with that ability. So you have to keep running down the clock, and it, it just keeps putting you in a higher pressure situation. And it just looks like the Titans fold in those situations.
1: Yeah, um, something I've said, uh, you know, repeatedly about the uh, Tennessee Titans is, uh, you know, their their quarterback is not built, like you said, he's not built to be able to take over a football game, he's built just to get you the bare minimum and get you through the game. And he can do what's needed. But he will not do anything exceptional. So something I'd like to see is, I- I'd like to see, uh, and I could just be uh, very wrong, but I, I kind of want to see more of a, uh, of uh, Malik Willis. That's his name, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. He, he got, um, he-, he went like three for four in the game. Um, they brought him in a little bit, but yeah, I think that like the Tennessee Titans are probably going to make the playoffs still, but um, I-, I think that next season we got to see more Malik Willis.
1: I agree. I mean, uh didn't, they, uh, they picked him up the beginning of the second round, correct?
0: I believe so. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So they picked him up pretty early in the draft. I, I want to see more of him and see what he can do and see if he can be, uh, you know, if he's a better quarterback than uh, than old Tannehill because all, all you need is someone who can make that, you know, big play, that big, you know, get a quarterback in there that can do something uh, that more than just the bare minimum.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's very important. And uh, we'll move on to a game where the quarterbacks never do the bare minimum. They always go above and beyond, and that is the Bengals versus the Buccaneers. Uh, Bengals take it 34-23. Joe Burrow had a great game. Um, he, I think it comes to a, people's surprise when Joe Burrow doesn't create a ton of yardage. He only had 200 passing yards, but four touchdowns, only had one interception, got sacked twice, and they didn't really run the ball all that well. Mixon kind of flopped in this game, but... They, they still put up a ton of points on the board. 34 points is extremely surprising when you only put up 230 yards as a team.
1: Yeah, 34 – oh, my goodness. 34 points uh, is extremely surprising when you only put up uh, just uh, uh, over 200 yards. That is – I mean, that is very, very impressive, which means their defense uh, played a very good game.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, the Buccaneers still scored twenty-three points, but Tom Brady had a, a pretty good game. <clears throat> Thirty for forty-four, three twelve, three touchdowns, but the two interceptions really hurt them. And it, it gave the Bengals opportunities in short yardage to score touchdowns, and it's exactly what they did.
1: Yeah, I mean that's all you can do is capitalize on the opportunities that you were given.
0: Yeah, like um the Bucs like one of the interceptions um led to a thirty one yard drive for the Bengals, and then the Bucks lose a fumble and the Bengals have a thirteen yard drive. The Bucks lose another fumble for a thirty nine yard touchdown drive. And we say it all the time. You gotta capitalize on the turnovers, and that is exactly what the Bengals did, like to the epitome of it.
1: Yeah, I mean Three touchdowns off of three fumbles. You cannot ask for anything better than that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, And we'll uh, move on to the Sunday night football game, which I feel like if you would have told me that this was a Sunday night football game and it actually had implications for a playoff spot like last year or even at the beginning of this year, I'd have called you stupid. But Giants commanders, the Giants take it 20-12. to and they moved to 8-5-1. Uh, commanders dropped to 7-6-1. And, and neither team really shined in this game. Um, Daniel Jones didn't really have a great game. Uh, Saquon did have a pretty good game, 87 yards, one touchdown. But um it really came down to the commanders just couldn't get it done. Uh, they got one touchdown and <clears throat> and Joey Sly missed the extra point. Uh, Otherwise, the other two points came off of um, field goals. And, look, Taylor Heineke had a pretty good game. uh, 17 for 29, 249, one touchdown. Brian Robinson, 12 carries, 89 yards. Like, the commander's offense looked pretty good, but it it just came down to the red zone. They couldn't get it done.
1: Yeah, um... yeah, I mean this this uh commanders team has a lot to work on. I like uh Ron Rivera, their head coach, but they they have a lot more they got to do. And I, I mean, I like Tyler Heineke, but uh for them to be you know uh big contenders, I think they're gonna have to uh, pick up a, a much better quarterback than him. He's good for what they need right now and the next year or two maybe, but uh here after a while they're gonna have to pick up a a better quarterback i think
0: yeah yeah heineke is good he's serviceable and like yeah they've got carson wentz but he's not you know the guy that we saw in philadelphia so yeah there's a lot to work on with the commanders but for the giants you have some bright spots saquon is still the guy that we're used to uh even though you know he didn't play I, i guess i think he was out all of last season with the acl injury and um he's had a couple of tough weeks this year but Saquon is still a great running back and, and Daniel Jones works um he is a, a the NFL version of a dual threat quarterback where you know he'll get like his 35 to 40 rushing yards and he'll get you you know not this week but normally over 200 passing yards and he limits the turnovers and they do a good job and that's why they've won 8 games this season
1: yeah, and I think he's a good answer right now for this. Their, for what I'm calling the rebuild and for all this on a new coach. But I think uh, – I, I don't want to say too much because I still think he has a, a decent potential, but maybe after you know a year or two, if he doesn't really seem to do anything too crazy too good, that they, they may have to move on from quarterback and pick up someone uh, a little better.
0: Yeah, I, I could definitely see that happening. I'm pretty sure that this is either the last year or the second to last year on Daniel Jones's contract. So it, it's going to be decision time in New York on whether you know they're ready to go ahead and draft a quarterback, or if they want to sign Daniel Jones to like a three or four year deal and see what they can do with their draft picks coming up in the future.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, You know, much like you said, like I said with uh, Tyler Heineke, for right now he's good and he's working.
0: Yeah, it's all about having a serviceable quarterback uh, in times like these for these two franchises, and it seems to be working out for both of them. Um, We'll move on to Rams-Packers, the Monday night game, and the Packers looked really good. Um, They take it twenty-four to twelve, and. Look, when you limit the turnovers and you allow the run game to open it up, you're going to get the results you want, and that's exactly what happened for the Packers on Monday.
1: Yeah, um, this. Uh, I mean, and I mean, yeah, but also you got to look. This this Rams team is just not even close to what they were last year. They just, I mean, everything that could go wrong for them this year has gone wrong.
0: Yeah, uh, I. I agree, and obviously they're super banged up, but they still do have a good defense um you know Jalen Ramsey, Bobby Wagner though he's a little older, Leonard Floyd's a really good linebacker, like they've got options um and they've got some really strong players on the defense, but yeah, like you said it, it's not the team that they had last year um obviously Stafford's hurt, cups hurt um like there's. Just so many things going wrong here. But you got to give it to them. They had, you know, they have nothing. So you kind of got to take it with a grain of salt. And they don't even have their draft pick. So this season really sucks for them. But look, I would trade a season like this for a Super Bowl any day.
1: Yeah, I think I'd have to agree with you there. You know, it's uh, especially, I mean, with them, like you said, they are missing their their two star players, or uh, Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup. So, you know, I, I'm not I'm not too upset. If I was a Rams fan, I wouldn't be too upset about it.
0: Yeah, uh, I think that'll do it for the NFL this week. Uh, we're gonna get into a couple of the bowl games that happened, and then we're gonna talk about um, some that are coming up within the next week. So we'll start it off: um, Troy versus UTSA. Troy takes it 18-12 in the Duluth Trading Cure Bowl. And this game wasn't great. Um, two teams that did jump into the top 25 there at the end of the season, um, but not teams that really attract a ton of viewership.
1: Yeah, um, I think Troy looked uh, really good in that bowl game. Uh, Ole Miss played them this year. They kept Ole Miss closer than what most people thought. I believe the final score was uh, 28-10. to uh, they looked like a pretty good team uh this year uh very good for a group of five team but uh definitely they were not a they you know they they were one of the better uh, new, uh group of five teams, but they were not the best i think uh I also don't really think there are any group of five teams this year that would have shot really been would have done any big shock to any uh, teams and maybe the only thing I can really see is this Tulane team and the Cotton Bowl against uh, USC. Yeah,
0: yeah, there's not too much to talk about here with this UTSA-Troy game, um, but I do want to talk about Oregon State versus Florida. Uh, in the SRS Distribution Las Vegas Bowl, Oregon State took it 30-3, to and Florida didn't even score those three points until the fourth quarter. And I talked about it earlier. Anthony Richardson didn't play in this game but Oregon State looked damn good, and we talked about them being a team that kind of surprised us as um, a Pac-12 team that likes to run the ball a lot. Deshaun Fenwick, 21 carries, 107 yards, and they had like 10 different players get a carry in this game, and I think it shows that you know when you get creative with the offense, especially in a bowl game like this, is a time where you know you can test some things out. Maybe you know do something a little bit different than what you would have in the regular season, and it, it worked out extremely well for Oregon State.
1: Oh uh, yeah, there are a couple things I, I would like to say about this game. One, I'm a little upset that I think this could have been a better game. I'm I'm, I'm upset they put a, uh, uh, I believe it was a ten and two. Or uh, nine and three, one of the two Oregon State team against the six and six Florida team. I mean, there were many other SEC teams they could have picked against to to that bowl game, and I think it would have been a better representation of the SEC and it would have been a better game uh for both sides if they would have put a team like uh eight and four Ole Miss or an eight and four Mississippi State, uh even an eight and four South Carolina over there. But instead they put the six and six Florida uh team so I'm a little upset. That's how the SEC chose that. But, um, like you said, that Oregon team, uh, or sorry, that Oregon State team, has. When I was watching them and the, uh, uh in the the rivalry game against Oregon, they were running that ball so well. I mean they they are one of the probably one of the most efficient uh running teams in the nation. They just look. Every time they run the ball, they get something. It looks so good. They just look so good.
0: Yeah, and I, I'm surprised that we kind of missed this one when we talked about, you know, our surprising bowl matchups a couple of weeks ago. That, like you just said, like they put the number 14 team, uh, a nine and three team coming out of the Pac-12, up against a horrible Florida team that was six and six. Like they have no life, and it's a, a very disrespectful bowl matchup. Like number fourteen in the nation should not be playing a game on like December. What was it like the eighteenth? Yeah, the yeah.
1: It it, it was way. Uh, I I agree. That was very disrespectful with the Oregon State team, and I think that was another reason they went in uh, and they beat Florida so bad as they did. Probably, they probably did feel disrespected. I would have felt disrespected. They deserve to be, you know, a, a closer to New Year's, like you know, where all the other uh, really good bowl games are. And I also am very upset that the SEC, you know, they the SEC uh, gets to choose. Uh, they for every SEC team, they say y'all get to pick. They give you uh, a few bowl games you get to choose from. You can uh, you get to go to. And I'm very upset that they um, gave. Florida the opportunity to go there because I think the nation as a whole would have rather seen a I mean you know Sadie an eight and four Ole Miss team or an eight and four or Kentucky team who are now in well even at least Kentucky they're playing uh, another team I believe who went seven and five and eight and four so even a little closer Ole Miss is playing a six and six team in the Texas Bowl why not put Florida in the Texas Bowl and Ole Miss and went eight and four against Oregon State that's a, you know, a much more respectful matchup for both teams.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I, I think that when it comes down to bowl selection, especially for these ones that come in this first week, um, they miss a lot uh, on matchups, but, uh, we'll get into a game that actually looked like a good matchup going into it. Uh, Louisville versus Cincinnati in the Fenway bowl and Louisville looked dominant 24 to seven. Um, the only thing i really want to talk about with this game is that fenway looks like a shit football field it is the worst like i get it it's like a it's got weird dimensions already but then you just have like the entire left field is open up to the monster i feel like it would have been awesome if like I know that the dimensions don't work out that way. But if the monster was a little bit closer to the sideline, those seats would have been so sick. Sitting up that high, like right above the field, would look so cool.
1: Yeah, I I just find it weird when they turn these baseball stadiums into football fields. And, you know, there's no way that's good for the baseball field.
0: (laughs) No, and it's way worse for the football players because the whole infield... Uh, you know, or a majority of the infield is dirt. Like they have to cover it up with artificial grass, but there's natural grass in the outfields. And so there's like a big like landscape change when you're playing on it. And like um, Travis Kelsey talked about it on um, his podcast that like he played a game at Oakland when they were still in the Coliseum and like your arms get all ripped up and like, you're just, like, covered in, like, scars and scrapes. And, like, baseball fields do not work for football. That's why they're baseball fields. And, like, the end zones always end up, like, super close to the wall, and it can be pretty dangerous. Like, there's a lot of questionable stuff going on uh, when it comes to putting a football field uh, on these baseball stadiums.
1: Yeah, what gets me is, I mean, you want to have a bowl game up in Boston, Use the Patriots facility. Yeah. Or I, use I, like the Harvard football stadium. Like, you, I mean, I, I get it's, I get it's cool to play at Fenway, but like, like, like we were, like you were just saying, it's very, it's dangerous and it's not good for the uh, baseball uh, field. I mean, all of it together really isn't the best idea.
0: Yeah. It's, it's horrible. And then, um, The other bowl game that happened that I want to talk about, uh, Southern Miss versus Rice, and Southern Miss takes it 38-24, but the the huge story here is Frank Gore Jr. I didn't even um, know—I think I did know that he was playing at Southern Miss. I didn't realize he was playing well, um, but this is like an insane stat line. 21 carries. 329 yards and two touchdowns. And then just a a little sprinkle on top, he also got involved in the passing game for some reason. He was two for three on passes for 19 yards and a passing touchdown. Like, this is just a ridiculous stat line.
1: Yeah. um, I mean, if I recall, he's been playing pretty good uh, the last few years. Um, I mean, to pull up the statistics for this year, he had 228 attempts for 1,382 rushing yards, averaging six yards a g- uh, carry. I mean, that's pretty good.
0: Yeah, do you know what uh, class he's in?
1: I believe he's a sophomore.
0: Okay, because I could see him transferring to a Power 5 school and making a pretty big difference in the run game.
1: Hey, he could always transfer down to Miami and uh, be like his dad.
0: Yeah, I'm sure Miami would – Welcome him with open arms.
1: Yeah, he. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, he's gotten a few ESPN, SportsCenter, uh, you know, been on there before, but uh, just like little things, just for being Frank Gore's uh, son. But uh, he's been consistently good at Southern Miss. So, like you said, uh, I would not be surprised if he does. Uh, maybe not this off season, but next off season, you know, one year left. Why not? You know, go ahead and go to a power five school so you can get you know have the great breakout year at the power five school along with his stats at southern miss you know you know go first uh uh two three rounds
0: yeah like honestly like his play style would fit super well even in tuscaloosa like he he's a he's a power back but he's got the speed he's elusive like he's he's the full package from what it looks like and, and obviously you know he's not playing against the best opponents but these are still division 1 FCS or uh sorry FBS college athletes like and he's just tearing them to pieces. So I think he would just kind of plug in anywhere and be successful. I agree. But uh we'll get into uh some of these games that are coming up in the next week that I wanted to just talk about and uh, we won't really go in depth. They're not the best matchups, not much to talk about, but I do want to get your uh thoughts on, you know, who will win. Maybe some standouts. So uh, we'll start uh, on Wednesday, December 21st. Uh, today, as this is coming out, Western Kentucky versus South Alabama in the R&L Carriers New Orleans Bowl. Who you got?
1: I'd go with South Alabama just because I like the Sun Belt. I, I really hope I, I – I'm a partial Georgia Southern fan, so I always like to see the Sun Belt do good.
0: Yeah. You know I'm going to take Western Kentucky because I really enjoyed watching them last year in their bowl game with Bailey Zappi. I know he's not there, but I'm I'm taking Western Kentucky. And then um, Thursday we've got Baylor versus Air Force in the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl. Uh, Baylor six and six, Air Force nine and three. And I we've talked about it multiple times. We love watching Service Academy uh, offenses. So I'm sure this will be nothing short of a, a fun offensive game to watch.
1: I think this is going to be, a, uh, like you said, it's going to be a good game. I, I bet it's going to be a low-scoring game because you know, Baylor's got a, Baylor tends to have a pretty good defense. They have one of the better defensive coordinators in college football and their head coach. You know, he was he, he a defensive coordinator, so this will probably be a low-scoring game. But as much as I want to go with Air Force, I think I'm going to have to go with Baylor here.
0: Yeah, uh, I was thinking the same way. Uh, The over-under is set at 43, which is, like by a a pretty wide margin, the lowest over-under that I've seen for a lot of these bowl games. Um, So, yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised if that hit the under. I'd probably see it like a – it'll probably be like 21-17 final.
1: Yeah, I could definitely see that because, I mean, you're going to have Air Force – You know, Service Academy football grinding the ball down, grinding the ball down, and Baylor's going to be making those stops most likely because they're going to have a defense that's ready for it. And so it's going to be a long. It's not. It's not going to be a long. It's going to be because they're going to be running the football, probably a quicker, low-scoring game. Uh, You know, I'm excited to see what this Baylor offense can do.
0: Yeah, and then on Friday we've got Louisiana versus Houston in the Radiance Technology Independence Bowl. And this is actually a pretty good matchup. Uh, Louisiana is uh, has always been a decent program, and then Houston, uh, obviously they're not quite as good as they were uh, just like like five years ago. but Houston is still a great group of five school, and they've got some players on this team that are really good.
1: Yeah, I think this, uh, like you said, this is going to be a good game. Uh, Louisiana's not the same without Billy Naper. Uh, it's obvious, uh, but they're still doing pretty good. Uh, Houston Houston tends to not play to their potential in every single game, and that's why they're uh, are they why they are not one of the better uh group of five teams they're good they're a top tier but they're not like the top uh they're never the top team because they don't win the games they need to win and so i I think we have to go with Louisiana here.
0: I'm actually going to go the other way. I'm taking Houston. Um, I think their quarterback is really good. Uh, Toon, Tooney, Clayton. I think it's Clayton Toon. Um, He's been super good this year. Um, 3,845 yards, 37 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. That's an outstanding performance from a quarterback. Um, We'll move to uh, another game happening on Friday. Uh, Wake Forest versus Missouri, and this is kind of like the first of these games that's uh, two Power 5 schools matching up, and I think it's actually going to be a really good game.
1: Yeah, I think both these teams match up pretty well against one another, uh, but I think Wake Forest, as much as I want to go to Missouri, because they're in the SEC, I just don't think Missouri's going to be able to do it. I think Wake Forest is the better team here.
0: Yeah, I think Sam Hartman's really going to stand out in this game, and like they've got the line at Wake minus one, um. So you know you're you're in store for a, a pretty good game. And I forgot to mention it's the Union Home Mortgage Gasparilla Bowl. Um, so yeah, we both got Wake Forest winning it there. And then on Christmas Eve, Saturday, we've got Middle Tennessee State versus South, uh, sorry, San Diego State in the Easy Post Hawaii Bowl. So. You know, everybody loves to just go to Hawaii and play. It it's awesome. Um But I, I think the my favorite thing about this was typing this down, uh, uh typing this in the prep sheet because it's two schools with four letter abbreviations.
1: And I believe uh it's actually pronounced San Diego, uh state, so
0: I don't think so, but who you got?
1: Um you know, I I, I like. Uh, I think I'm going to go with the Middle Tennessee. Uh, I believe they're the Raiders, right? Yes. Yeah, I'm going to go with the My my Middle Tennessee State Raiders. Here, I got a friend that goes there, so I can't pick against them.
0: They're actually the Blue Raiders. Even better. Go Blue Raiders. I'm taking the Aztecs, San Diego State. Um, they've been pretty good. Um, just over the last couple of years, they always have a couple guys that are. Pretty solid players that come out of there. Um, Not a great guy came out of there in the offseason. They're punter. But, um, you know, don't need to worry about that one. Uh, We'll move on to um, uh, the Monday matchup, the day after Christmas. We've got New Mexico State versus Bowling Green in the Quick Lane Bowl. Um, I don't know too much about either of these teams. Uh, Bowling Green, um, a, a pretty middle of the pack team in the Mac, New Mexico State is always kind of – they seem to always get a bowl game. They they seem to get the six wins, and that's about it every year.
1: Yeah. Uh, I also don't really know too much about either of these teams, but uh, that is very accurate. North – or sorry, New Mexico State always somehow manages to get, some, get a bowl game. Don't know how, but they do. And because of that, I'm going to have to go with the New Mexico State. Uh, Cowboys or something like that, I don't know
0: Uh, I believe they are the Cowboys They might, uh, Aggies Whatever
1: Basically same
0: Yeah, exactly I think I'm going to take Bowling Green I love some Maction So, Bowling Green's going to get it it. What were you about to say?
1: Oh no, I was saying You may be for the Maction, I'm all about the fun belt
0: Alright, fair enough well, here's a matchup between the Fun Belt and the Maxion, Georgia Southern versus Buffalo in the Camilla Camilla. Cam- I don't know how to say it, uh, on Tuesday. Um, I think this is actually going to be a great game. We talked about it a couple weeks ago in our previews, um, our favorite bowl games. This was one of the ones we put some light on. And just looking at the over-under here, you know it's going to be a fun one to watch. 67.5 points is the over-under
1: yeah uh I've watched most of uh Georgia Southern this year. I honestly have not even seen a single buffalo game, so I don't know exactly what to expect with them, but with this over under, obviously some uh, points will be scored. But if Georgia Southern can get their defense right and actually tackle and they do not make the mistakes they tend to make, especially with Tyler van at quarterback, he likes to rip it, and he tends to. Force balls into uh, places in the situations he should not try and force the ball, and he'll end up throwing a pick or uh, something like, you know, or just a bad play. And so, if Georgia Southern plays like they should, like they have in uh, some of their games. I think Georgia Southern's going to be able to take this one by 10 points.
0: Yeah. Kyle Van played super well this season, and I do think he's a really good quarterback. Uh, I think we talked about it that. Um. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he transferred from Buffalo to yeah. Southern. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. So this is a big one for him. It's the Kyle Vantries Revenge game, and um. Yeah, I got I got Southern in this one. All right, and then uh the next game on Tuesday is Memphis versus Utah State in the Serve Pro First Responder Bowl, and I don't know too much about either of these teams really. Um. Who do you think is going to pull away?
1: Um, I have not gotten to see Utah State this year. Oh wait, that's a lie. I think I saw them against Alabama, and I also that wasn't a
0: good uh, view.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, and then I've also seen uh Memphis. I watched them blow a lead. So, um, you know, from the two things I've seen, Memphis seems from what like the one game I saw, they they're a good team. Uh, they're coached pretty well. Uh, so I think we have to go with Memphis. They, you know, they got some good athletes. And I think they're gonna, I think they're gonna win this one.
0: Yeah, I'm taking Memphis as well. I, I think they, they stand out a little bit more. Um, they, they have a little bit more competition in their conference. Uh, I just don't think that Utah State's all that good. So we'll get to Coastal Carolina versus East Carolina, uh, a matchup of the Carolinas in the Birmingham Bowl, and. I I think Coastal's going to take it. Uh, I'm pretty sure Grayson McCall's not going to play this game. Um but I'm interested to see what you think.
1: Um, I think this is going to be a good game. Uh, I think it's going to come down to if uh Coastal's quarterback Grayson McCall will play. That is going to be the biggest uh thing for the uh, biggest news story before this game is who they'll have at quarterback. And I think if Uh, Coastal, if McCall does not play or cannot play because he's transferring or whatever, I think East Carolina is going to be able to capitalize on that and win the football game because, I mean, really, uh, Grayson and uh, that coach that was there before he took the Liberty job, they were a a good duo. They understood each other very well, and he was kind of there on the Coastal Carolina's offense. So I think think depending on if he plays or not, which – since he's in the portal, you probably won't. I'm going to have to go with East Carolina.
0: I'm still going to take Coastal. I I think they still just have, like, athletes on that team that are really good. And also, my my boy Jalen, former Coastal Carolina wide receiver. So I got to take Coastal in this one. And then um, another Power 5 matchup. It's a 10-15 game uh, on Tuesday. But Wisconsin, Oklahoma State in the Guaranteed Rate Bowl, I honestly don't know who's going to win. I don't think Oklahoma State's as good as people thought they were going to be this year, and they've really looked bad in this second half of the season.
1: Yeah, OK State, you know, they're that's their name. They're OK State because they're just OK. Um, I just, they, they, you know, they start off well, um, then they start out like 6 and '7 and0 something like that, and they just kind of fell apart towards the end.
0: Yeah, lots of just absolute blowouts uh, for Oklahoma State.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think Wisconsin's really going to play up for it. Um, is oh, my question is, will Luke Finkel coach their bowl game?
0: No, no, he doesn't start till next year, so um, I believe it'll probably still be uh, Jim Leonard, the interim head coach.
1: Yeah, then I'm going to I think I'm going to go with the okay State here. I think they have more to prove with the win here than uh Wisconsin.
0: Yeah, and then I think Wisconsin uh I'm pretty sure Graham Mertz entered the portal. So, uh I don't think he's going to be starting at quarterback, so I'm going to take Oklahoma State as well. And that will wrap it up for the um the previews and we'll talk about how those games go next Tuesday. Um but, um, we'll, we'll get into some transfer portal news. Um, a, a good amount of stuff has happened since we talked last week. Uh, Travis Hunter, uh, obviously entered the portal and he's already taken pictures with Dion and Shador. Um, so he's going to Colorado. I, I think he's just going to follow Dion. So that one doesn't really come as a surprise, but, um, there's a couple guys that need to be on the lookout because, um. He's not very nice to those quarterbacks, and he can play wide receiver,
1: yeah, um, you know I'm kind of upset with uh how it all happened at jackson state um obviously they were not being good to Dion and they you know they weren't taking care of him at all at all, and, but I mean I, just about their entire football team hit the transfer portal, and there there he had a lot of good athletes down there, so I think a lot of uh a lot of them are gonna end up at at the uh you know FBS level lower group of 5 you know group of 5 or potentially some going to power 5 and there's some good athletes uh coming from there so i think uh there there there's a lot of a lot of uh, get a lot of especially smaller schools are about to get some good talent just from Jackson State
0: yeah for sure and, and then uh the next big one devin leary this morning uh committed to kentucky so Uh, that kind of made me change where I thought, um, uh, Miami's quarterback. I can't quite remember his name right now. Uh, Miami. Yeah. I can't remember the guy's name.
1: Not Dan trees. Oh, sorry. Uh, (laughs) It's it's a double name like that, right?
0: Yeah, it is, but it's not a big deal. I, I thought he was going to end up going to Kentucky because he's friends with Will Levis. They're both from the um, Philadelphia area. So I thought that Will Levis was going to kind of push him to go to Kentucky, but I think Devin Leary is a much better option. He's a great quarterback. Um, it, it's kind of just unfortunate that he got hurt uh, in that game against Florida State, which kind of lost him the job. But Devin Leary needed to step up and go to a place where – it's kind of a prove-it thing. If he can shine at Kentucky, he's got a good chance to go pretty high in the draft next year, and I think that's just what he's looking for.
1: Yeah, uh, Van Dyke is who we were – Yes. Yeah, um, I, think, uh, I think that was a good move for him. Uh, ob- uh, obviously, Kentucky needed quarterback, and he's going to fill the role there. And so uh, I wonder if that's going to affect a lot of these Kentucky players who have hit the transfer portal
0: yeah for sure and there there's a lot going on in the transfer portal, you know, every day, so things are changing over and over again. um I'm looking at twenty four seven sports right now, and the projection for dJ is that he's going to go to Hawaii, which there's no way in hell he's going to Hawaii
1: yeah right? I, I, <laughs> I, I I can't believe that like at all.
0: Yeah, like it's showing, you know the, you don't always have to trust it, but they're saying that he's going to Hawaii, and I think that kind of is because, um, Colin Schley, uh, quarterback from Kent State, just transferred to UCLA, so a lot of people were thinking that DJ was going to go to the West Coast. Well, USC's taken up with the Heisman winner, UCLA just transferred in a quarterback, so. Now he doesn't have very many options in the area, so it, it could be that he wants to go to Hawaii and just go down there and, you know, kick some ass on some teams that aren't very good. But I don't think that helps him whatsoever unless he's looking to, you know, go to Hawaii, you know, rebuild what he once was, and then leave again.
1: Yeah, I don't know... uh, <sighs> I'm just there's I can't really even think of anywhere that would be a good that would fit him really well for him to go to. I mean, a lot of schools already have their. Yeah, I think that's gonna be an interesting one to look out for.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, and and we'll keep uh keeping track of that. But I do want to talk about twenty four seven sports um their uh, transfer portal rankings because I am pleasantly surprised by Florida State's positioning uh, so we'll start it off uh, from 1 to 10 we've got um, Michigan at 1 uh, they have already gotten 5 4 star um, commits uh, 7 total commits with 2 of the 3 stars so they're looking really good Florida State comes in at 2 they've got 6 commits 3, three, or three 4 stars 2 3 stars and i truly think that florida state and and mike norvell are doing an amazing job in the transfer portal like the whole almost the whole receiving core last year like some of our top receivers and just top players in general were all transfers jared verse is looking like a first round pick uh, at defensive end johnny wilson transferred from arizona state micah Pittman transferred from oregon like and Trey Benson transferred from Oregon as well. So there is a ton of stuff going on at Florida State that, you know, is moving them in the right direction,
1: yeah. I think Florida State has a lot uh, has a lot to look forward to here in the and uh, the coming years. Not only do they have a top re- uh, transfer portal recruiting class, but they also have a top uh, high school recruiting class coming uh, this upcoming season. so, and I mean, they have a lot of good recruit, uh, good, good players that have that as we, you know, the best part of the transfer pl- portal is they've already played at the college level. So they are ready to play on your team uh, when they come in. So, I mean, there are two that Florida State has now has two four-star uh, tight ends that will be coming in, uh, a, set, a couple O-linemen, a couple uh, D-linemen too, so I think they. Uh, I think next season Florida State's can be uh, a team to look out for in the ACC.
0: Yeah, for sure. And then we move to number three, uh, UCLA. They've got a four-star commit, three three stars coming in, and I, I think that UCLA is going to continue to bring in some good guys. I think people saw what worked for them this year, and they're realizing that that Chip Kelly offense might work for them. And um, Chip Kelly must be selling these guys on LA.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously he's not selling them, you know, selling them on their home games or anything, but uh yeah, he it's taken him several years, but he's now he's definitely is building something there. You can see, you know, all the years of struggle that he's finally building something there in UCLA and uh you know, it, like I've said and uh before, I love seeing uh that there's a lot of good teams now and this is one thing I do like about the transfer portal is it's going to make a lot of teams uh it's gonna make most of every conference way more competitive now
0: yeah, for sure and um these actually these rankings from the time that I did these notes like a few hours ago of these rankings they've changed on twenty four seven sports so um Kentucky has skyrocketed into this top 10 uh, just from picking up Devin Leary. So Kentucky comes in at four. Now they've got three four-star recruits, and it's looking like they're making some moves that are going to make some changes at Kentucky. Obviously, they, they're they going to lose their quarterback, but they bring in a quarterback who I think is really good, has a huge upside to him, and they're just bringing in guys that are working for him.
1: Yeah, the only thing with Kentucky that I've, I'm looking through theirs right now is they they'll be losing a fair amount of depth, and uh, they got in a lot of O linemen, but they're also losing a few O linemen. Uh, you know, I think they have a couple. Uh, they have a couple of defensive players in the portal, along with uh, you know some uh, some running backs. So I think they're losing a little bit of depth, but I think next season they're going to be better because uh, they did, they have gained some more uh, skilled, talented players.
0: For sure. And I, I think there's a, a ton of teams that you could say that about. They're making the moves that, you know, fill the holes. And obviously the, the hard part about, you know, trying to be successful in the transfer portal is also trying to make sure that your guys that you already have don't leave. And I think that's a problem that a lot of teams are going to see, especially the teams that are kind of middle of the pack in their conferences in the power five. Um, they're gonna get hit pretty hard through the transfer portal if they can't bring in as many as they're getting out.
1: Yeah, uh, I agree. I mean, you—it's that's all what recruiting is about. I mean, and with now uh, before before the portal, it used to be the you know you're losing this many seniors with all this talent, and you need to bring in this many uh, freshmen with you know fresh talent and fresh you know that are just as good or better than these or how, you know, just as good or a better potential than these players that are graduating and leaving. And uh so, I mean, now it's the same thing, but with the portal, you know, we had to uh, retain these players as well, so.
0: Yeah, and then number five, Oklahoma. Um They're a team that genuinely needs to be successful in the transfer portal uh, if they want to see any changes come. Because it was a rough season, and – um there's obviously a ton of holes in this team that need to be addressed, and it looks like the Venables is trying to do that.
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot more issues to this Oklahoma team than uh, what we kind of saw. Is, yeah, they kept a lot of the players they had under Lincoln Riley, but they also lost a bunch as well as they had to hire a brand-new head coach, brand-new coordinators, which probably meant they brought brand new assistants in, so it was almost like the the it was a clean house. Uh, when Lincoln Riley left, and so now they're having to basically, for a lack of better words, rebuild.
0: Yeah, they are, and you know, hopefully for Oklahoma it can go well, but uh, coming in just behind them, USC at number six for these uh, transfer rankings. So, Lincoln Riley. And everybody else leaves Oklahoma, goes to USC, and you know what? Look, they didn't make the college football playoff, but they had the Heisman winner. And they had a bunch of guys on that team that are going to do well. And I think some of the USC players that stayed there through the coaching change are probably now leaving uh, because they weren't getting the playing time that they maybe thought they would get. but. They continue to bring in good recruits, and it it just is going to keep on working out for them.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think they are uh, a lot, mostly with the USC, because I uh, I believe they have a fair number in the portal. Uh, Those that are leaving are ones that didn't really get a lot of playing time this year with all the people he brought in. and Especially now with his new new recruiting class he's bringing in, a lot of people are going to get up and leave.
0: Yeah, and then Oregon coming in at number seven. Um, I, I think really Oregon caught a, a big break um, with Bo Nix returning and deciding not to go to the draft. Um, so they don't need to address the quarterback for this coming year, and they can just keep you know filling. Like we said, they they just need to fill the holes, and they can be a successful team. And they lost a lot of guys after. Um, why am I blanking on who their coach was? Uh, Cristobal was in Oregon, correct? Yeah. Yeah, so when they lost Cristobal, a ton of guys left as well. And it looks like Dan Lanning has brought in a regime that people want to play for. You know, Bo Nix returning, and they're bringing in good transfers. Uh, it looks like everything's kind of starting to come together in Oregon.
1: I'm not going to lie. Uh, that – that uh that linebacker that transferred away what was his name uh justin flow yeah that one really uh that one really surprised me i, I was not uh I was not expecting him to leave especially with um dan lanning being a big defense at wasn't he the heck or sorry the defense coordinator at georgia yes yeah that one really surprised me i guess you know, I, I thought he would did pretty good, but maybe, you know, he wasn't as good as uh, they thought he was coming out of high school. But, um, yeah, that, that really shocked me that he left.
0: Yeah. Dude, I remember watching some Justin Flo highlights when he was in high school. The man used to light up quarterbacks. But um, yeah. number eight on this list is Oklahoma State. Um, you know, we just talked about them when we were previewing their bowl game they've got a lot of things to address and um, I could see a lot of changes coming to Oklahoma state. Mike Gundy just, you know, if he can bring in a good class, they can get back up into that top 10 position that they've been in, uh, in multiple years in um, the past, you know, in, in the recent past. And look, if, If this transfer portal this year really works out for Oklahoma State, they'll be contending again in the Big 12. There'll be a team that we talk about making the top 10. It's just, it's all about what they can bring in, you know, what they address. Because look, you can't address every single problem on the team with the transfer portal. And they recruit well, they don't recruit the best, because there's teams in the area that just recruit better. And... Oklahoma State just has a lot to work on.
1: Yeah, and I think Oklahoma State's best uh, opportunity is going is sitting in transfer portal because they're for recruits at a high school they have to compete against Oklahoma and Texas, Texas A&M and Texas Tech, all the Texas teams and uh, Oklahoma. So it's a it's a very hard sell. I mean, not saying that they're not a good program or anything, but when you have a, you know, a school like Oklahoma who's got a pretty good history, uh, a better history than you uh, in the same state. Uh, You know, they're, they're also the flagship of the school of the state. So a lot of people, uh, especially at Oklahoma would prefer to go to Oklahoma. And, you know, you go, then it would, the thing with Texas is you got to go against the Texas money and that, especially for, you know, kids coming out of high school, it's hard to turn down a person trying to pay you a hundred thousand dollars a year to play for them. So uh, I think the portals uh, is really where they got to hit the best.
0: Yeah, and and now we get to kind of the biggest surprise um, for me to see this team up here. Number nine in these transfer rankings is Minnesota. And um, they're a team that, you know, typically they're kind of in the mix, but, um, you know, they're never really a contender. They've, you know, surprised a couple of people, upset uh, a couple teams, And, you know, playing in a weak division or in the weak division in the Big 12, um, Minnesota has a chance to make it to the Big 12 championship year in and year out. Um, It just didn't seem like this season they had it. So, you know, seeing that they're getting super active in the transfer portal is a good sign for Minnesota fans.
1: Yeah. um, Yeah, it's a very good sign that they are, you know, trying to uh, like you were saying about uh, other teams. They're trying to address the issues of their uh, team right now because they have a lot of good players on their team, but they have holes in other spots, so they're addressing it with the portal, and that's exactly what the portal's for now.
0: Yeah, and then uh, number 10, uh, a team that is really going to need to hit the transfer portal very well if they want to you know, keep this success going is TCU. Uh, we find out yesterday Max Duggan's going to the draft, and... I think that you know TCU is now in. I wouldn't say disaster mode, but you know, once this season's over, it it looks like with Max Duggan leaving that the magic might leave, and you know, y- you need to get guys there to sustain the success, and it's going to be hard. But the best way to do it right now, if you want immediate success, is the transfer portal, and it it looks like they're going to make the efforts and hopefully they can get a big quarterback transfer coming in.
1: Yeah, they definitely – I think they definitely are going to have to land a quarterback transfer. Uh, Right now I'm looking at their uh, – who they have committed. Uh, Four-star offensive lineman from Alabama, four-star receiver from Alabama, four-star cornerback from Florida, and a three-star tight end from uh, LSU. So they have four pretty good uh, – four dudes who are pretty good who look to be pretty good. Uh, coming in to help strengthen their depth, but they're definitely gonna have to get a quarterback because after watching that team, they relied on Max Duggan for everything offensively.
0: Yeah, they they need a guy that can take over, and because that's exactly what Max Duggan does. Uh, he's a guy he's got confidence on the field at all times, and he puts his his you know body on the line over and over and over again to win the game so obviously that's that's a hard guy to replace but you know if you want a fighting chance to you know stay as a top team in the nation then you're gonna have to you know work through those problems and you know if they want to stay up there I'd say that they've got to make it into the top five by the end of the transfer window
1: yeah, I have to agree with you. there. Like I said, they have four good players coming in. They only have one player leaving, so obviously, you know, they're retaining their players. Uh, then, they, uh, if I recall, they had a pretty good recruiting class last year, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, they're retaining players. Got to, obviously, they're addressing most of their needs in the portal. Um, you know, maybe we'll we'll just see what they do. Uh, what they decide to do with their quarterback situation because the portal, you know, that goes that the you know, you'll be seeing people who still transferring in and out all the way up to spring practice. And then, uh, you know, we'll be open back up again in the summertime post spring. So we'll see. There's still a lot to go on before next season in the portal.
0: Yeah. It's going to be an interesting one to watch, but, uh, that'll kind of do it for the transfer portal and college football news. Oh, uh, um, I, I do. Oh, quick, sorry. Go ahead.
1: Uh, a team that really is that I'm very surprised to see, uh, and the top 15 of the portal is, uh, Georgia tech. They're coming at number 13 right now. And they've had, I mean, not anybody stellar coming in, you know, nothing that's appears to be, uh, too crazy, but they are getting, uh, some pretty good, uh, transfers coming into their, uh, coming to their team. So I'm excited to see this, uh, Georgia tech team, uh, compete in the
0: ACC. Yeah. Uh, I like Georgia Tech. Uh, I think that, um, you know, hopefully this hire works. You know, bringing up the interim head coach sometimes it there is a little bit of a getting used to period where, like we saw it with Notre Dame this season, where you um, you promote a coach and he's a real players' coach. The guys love playing for him, but maybe. You know, he's just not quite ready yet, and you got to be able to turn it around. So if uh, I think it's, it's it's either Brett or Brent Key. Yeah, Brent um, Key. If he can, you know, get these guys on his side, bring in a bunch of recruits before spring practices, get them acclimated to the team, you could see Georgia Tech making a pretty good run this year in the ACC.
1: Yeah, I just kind of want to see them go 6-6 six because, six I mean, they're traditionally a good football team and i'm kind of ready to see them bring some competition into the acc and to make the georgia georgia tech game more interesting
0: all right well we'll get into a couple of the mlb offseason acquisitions that have happened um uh, there's only really one that i really want to talk about and i know you'll want to talk about it as well but uh we'll we'll get to that one. So Joey Gallo signs a one-year contract with the Twins and I think this is a real prove it deal for Joey Gallo. Um obviously we know that he struggled in New York, gets traded to LA, struggles in LA, and now with the Twins it it, it kind of looks like his last chance to you know keep getting paid. And you know, it's a one-year prove it deal. So we'll have to see what Joey Gallo does in Minnesota.
1: Yeah. Uh, I, I agree. Uh, he just, he's got more to prove, and uh, that's really what this deal is for him. I, I'm just not to say the same thing as you, but uh, you're, you're 100% right.
0: Yeah, and then uh, Andrew Benintendi signs a five-year deal with the White Sox. Uh, I believe this is the biggest uh, free agent acquisition that the White Sox have had money-wise, um, and I think it's a great pickup. Uh, I'm not too sure about the length. I feel like five years is a little bit much for Benintendi, but he's shown that he's he's got a great glove in the outfield. He's a a pl- a, a very high upside hitter, and he'll bring a ton of value to this team. Um, and then J.D. Martinez signs a one year deal with the Dodgers. Um, I think it's a great fit. Uh, they need a, a true DH. Uh, in L.A. And J.D. Martinez is just that. Uh, He struggled this past season, but we've seen him be a great hitter. And if he can have, you know, another season where he's getting 30-plus homers and 100-plus RBIs, then he could be a a, a big difference maker for the Dodgers. Yeah,
1: I just don't want to see the Dodgers do good.
0: (laughs) That's fair enough. Um, And then, you know, we'll move into – Actually, you know, we'll save this one for last. So, uh, well, Michael Brantley re-signs with the Astros on a one-year deal. And this is completely insignificant because Michael Brantley just can't stay on the field. So it doesn't change much for this Astros team. They've kind of already got their team. You know, they just won a World Series. So Michael Brantley just adds depth at this point. And then the Braves signed Jordan Luplo to a one-year deal. So it's looking like at the moment he'll probably end up being the starting left fielder come opening day. Uh you know, barring any big changes or uh, acquisitions throughout the rest of this off season, but um, yeah, the big one, Dansby Swanson signs a seven year deal with the Cubs. I believe it's a uh, twenty five million a year, and um this just pisses me off
1: yeah i i I think I, I don't remember uh, who I was talking to about it. I think it might have been my mom, but I was like. Uh, why, why would he want to leave Atlanta? I mean, they've done so much for him. And, I mean, he's from here. You know, he grew up a Braves fan. And, but when you look at it, it just all comes down to the money. He just wanted to get paid. And which I can't blame him for wanting to get paid. But, I mean, uh, I think if I were him, I I personally wouldn't want to leave because I think I would have a better shot winning another ring with Atlanta. Than I would going up to the Cubs, but that's just me.
0: Yeah, like the the main factor in this, and obviously the money is a big part of it. Like twenty five million, you're not really going to turn that down. But the reason he chose Chicago is because his now his newly wedded wife Mallory Pugh plays soccer in Chicago, so it it all kind of fell into place. Uh, I think people started picking up on that. Um, when we started seeing some of the other shortstops are signing and we saw that the Cubs was still an open spot. Um, it it just makes sense. Like their wedding was this past weekend, two days later, the, or the signings announced. So it, it all ended up lining up, but like, I would have been less mad about him going elsewhere if he actually went to a contending team, but the Cubs are not contenders and, like, they don't even really need a shortstop. Like, Nico Horner has played super well there, and I know that, you know, he's a guy that can play multiple other positions, but I just, I don't think the Cubs needed Dansby, and I think Dansby should have gone to a contending team.
1: I agree. I just, it's just, it's so upsetting in several different ways, especially being as a Braves fan. Yeah, I hate seeing him leave Atlanta, but, like, yeah, go get your money, but, like, the, like you said, Chicago didn't really need him. He should have gone somewhere to where he could have been on a contending team because he's too good of a player not to be. And like there's just uh, there's so many things about it that just make me mad.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like but, uh, go ahead.
1: But I was about to say something that my mind just drew blank.
0: No worries. Um I think that'll do it for the MLB. Um Dancy Swanson, if you're listening. Um, I'm very mad at you, and when you come back to Atlanta next season to play a game, i if nobody boos you, I will. I will make sure I'm there to boo you. But let's move into our stake your claim, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and get it started. I've got, you know what, people are going to call me a homer for it and whatever, but I'm staking my claim. Florida State will win the ACC next season and they will finish in the top seven.
1: That's bone.
0: Like, look, they're good. And if they can continue to be successful in the transfer portal, they're going to continue getting better. Jordan Travis is staying. Trey Benson's staying. Um, I'm pretty sure Johnny Wilson's going to be there. Michael Pittman will probably be there. Like, Everything is falling into place for Florida State. They've got a, they've already transferred in a couple of guys. They got Jaheim Bell from South Carolina. Like, they're they're getting the pieces they need to win. And if if this past season was any indicator of what is to come, it, they look really good. I, I think that you know with how Clemson is changing throughout this off season, I. Really do think that Florida State has got the opportunity to win the division and then ultimately win the conference.
1: I definitely believe they can win the division, but I'm going to see uh, all the spring games before I can make a claim like that. Because Clemson, especially with this new quarterback at the helm, he's looking he's looking good and he's turned that team around a little. So I think uh, I think it's I also think I could 100% see that. Like I said earlier, this Florida State team. Like you said, uh, and I agree with you, they are this season. They look great, um, and they do have a great potential. They hit the transfer portal, addressed the issues they uh, they were having. So I think, uh, and with especially Jordan Travis staying an experienced quarterback who looked very good this year, I think uh, I could, I will definitely see them in the ACC championship.
0: And I'm pretty sure. Uh, I just thought about this that. Um the ACC is getting rid of divisions and i believe that'll be effective immediately um oh. so going into next season so um in clemson and florida state uh before this change were in the same division so um I-, I still think that they can win it um they'll probably end up having to play clemson twice in that case but even if they go 12 and 1 I think they could finish in the top seven, especially like we saw multiple 2 lost teams um, in the top ten. So, yeah, I, I fully believe this claim.
1: So there are fourteen teams in the ACC, and they're going no divisions, huh? Yep. That's. I think it's.
0: I think it's just best. I, I think that for the majority of college football, there shouldn't be divisions. Look it makes the Pac-12, like, the Pac-12 was the most interesting conference to watch this season because there was so many good teams at the top and they just kept battling each other for those spots in the championship game, and the Big 12 is the same way. They have no divisions and it's just up to who's the two best teams, and that's how it should be.
1: I like it in a sense of, like, uh, I do like it for that, but Also, I kind of like the idea of uh, like the divisional rivalries. Getting to see Ole Miss and LSU play every year, and Ole Miss and uh, like uh, Texas A&M play. I kind of like the divisional rivalries. Ole Miss Auburn, you know, and Ole Miss Alabama. Like I I love watching those. And
0: I think you're still going to get those games. It's not going to change much about how they schedule it. It really just comes down to how it affects. The, the conference rankings.
1: Well, but like, I think in a team, in a uh, conference where you have 12 teams, you can do that because you can, everybody can play each other every week. But I think once you get to like, I mean, especially like if the SEC were to do that in the coming years, they're going to have 16 teams. And so I feel like you'd end up in a situation where a lot of teams would go years. And you, I mean, I guess they do that already with like go years out playing each other. Huh. I don't know. I'm very. i I've always, you know, we've. I've always been around. Uh. Uh. The the teams always pay attention to have always been in division. So I think that's gonna be interesting to see and see how I like it more that I'm gonna start paying attention.
0: Yeah, I, I think it just gives like teams more to play for when it comes down to it because it's not like like when Florida State was in their prime, um, in the early 2010s, like yeah. they knew that they could make it to the ACC championship. And they also knew that on the other side, a majority of the time, their only competition was Georgia Tech So in the other division. So I think that it makes it much more interesting. Because if in these past couple of years, if Florida State and Clemson would have played in that championship game, it would have been a much more interesting game. It would have been a much better competition. So I really think it can only do good things for the ACC.
1: I think it is. I think for the uh, ACC, I think it's going to make it better because, yeah, like you said, the Coastal Conference, the Coastal Division, does not really have competition. You know, it, it's got Duke and Tech and Virginia and Virginia Tech, which are not really the best of teams. So I think this will make it more interesting. And like you said. I liked how you did point out very well, especially in the Pac 12. That did make it more interesting week in, week out. I think I'll be able to adapt to this change.
0: All right. Well, I want to hear your claim. What you got? Jimbo Fisher
1: will be fired in the next two years, even though his buyout will still be like $60 million.
0: I like it. I I think that, I don't think that's controversial, but I think it would still, like, no matter when that happens, it'll come as a surprise just because of the money. So, um I really like that.
1: Because my uh he had a bad season this year and I believe uh ten of these transfers, if not more, ha- uh in the leaving Texas and in this year were in this recruiting class he brought in that was the greatest of all time or whatever. And these are highly ranked kids leaving the Texas A and football program. And so not only are they losing a lot to graduation, they're losing a lot of their younger guys that provided depth. So I think that's going to make it very interesting for Jimbo Fish to see what he can do there.
0: Yeah. like it, there, There's obviously something needs to change there. And the way it looks, it, it needs to be the coaching. Look, they've got as many athletes as you could possibly put on a college football roster, and it's just not getting done. So – Something has to change.
1: I think the issue with Jimbo Fisher is I don't like him, and I will always say that. There's just something about him I don't like. He's a good coach, do not get me wrong, but there's just something about his personality I think it is I just can't like. And I think a lot of players, he kind of puts on a fake persona when you're recruiting because, of course, you're going to. Everyone does that. And then they get in there, they get to know him, and they just don't like him. It's not what he sold him on, and they went there for the money. And I think that's going to catch up to him. And his biggest issue is I think since he got this ridiculous deal, is he just got comfortable. Is he was like, I'm getting, no matter what, I will be getting millions upon millions of dollars. I have nothing to worry about. So I think he's very comfortable where he's at
0: yeah and we see that hurt a bunch of people you know over and over again, uh, whether that's players or coaches where they get paid and, and they get complacent. and you know Jimbo Fisher, look he's he's won a national championship. he's had uh legendary teams in college football, and you know he got at the time the biggest contract, and he just kind of settled down, and obviously he's still recruiting at a high level. But you know recruits need to turn into into draft prospects, and if that's not going to happen, then you're not going to be successful.
1: yeah, um well, yeah, like you said, he pointed out he has won a championship, and he just he he's just not producing, obviously on the field off the field, he's not producing what he should be, so I really believe if he cannot turn around this next season. He will be on the hot seat for the next for the following season, and if he does not produce again, he will be fired, and most likely be getting fired mid season if he doesn't. Uh, two seasons from now, if he doesn't produce within the first six games,
0: I like it. You got anything else for the people, Brock?
1: Um. Oh, one thing I wanted to point out for the Dansby Swanson, I believe yeah. there there is no trade clause in there.
0: Uh mm. It's not surprising. That's a big thing in, in baseball that like really locks up a player. Uh, it makes the franchise look more committed to the player and the player looks more committed to the team, but with all no trade clauses, um, if the player says I want to be traded, then he can be traded. He just has to give consent to who they trade him to. So, um, I, I, that's just like a formality that happens in a lot of contracts. Uh, there's plenty of teams that do it across uh, all of the professional sports leagues, so um, it, it won't change too much with that deal.
1: Yeah, I just you know wanted to throw that out there.
0: Yeah, no, it, it's an important aspect of a contract, and um, it's becoming increasingly popular um, with major free agent acquisitions in the MLB.
1: Yeah. Well, that that uh, does it for me. That's about all I want to say.
0: All right. Well then, I will catch y'all on Friday's episode, and Brock will catch y'all on next Wednesday's episode. And with that, we will catch y'all later.